I'm Eric Wang, and I am the author of Things We Lost to the Water, a novel. I'm also the editor-in-chief of Diacritics. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Wonderful. Thank you for coming on. Uh, my guest today is Eric Nguyen, author of Things We Lost to the Water. Um, I immediately went out and got the copy of your book after it landed on Obama's reading list in 2021. And uh, I learned um, in the process that you're the editor-in-chief at Diacritics. Um, it's a Vietnamese diasporic uh, publication that showcases Vietnamese uh, artists from around the world. We'll get... uh, I start all of my episodes with the question of what does it mean to be Vietnamese to you? I think being Vietnamese, it's a very, that's a very complex question because there are so many strains or different ways of being Vietnamese. But I think if I were to lump Vietnamese-ness into an entity, I would say uh, we come from a, a shared culture, traditions, but also a history as well. But also we are kind of looking forward um, into what it means to be a Vietnamese person. And I think um, that spans all different shores. Uh, if you're a Vietnamese American, that's a different type of Vietnamese-ness from a Vietnamese person in Vietnam versus a Vietnamese person in Canada or um, Australia. So I think it's it's a huge net, I would say, of shared origin, shared history, but then we go in different directions and write our own stories, our own new histories. Yeah, I talk quite a bit about that um phenomenon on, on the podcast because you know that question the answer it, it varies uh, so often and where we grow up has a massive um has massive consequences to who we become yeah and you know somebody growing up in you know the east coast and somebody growing up in the west coast of the united states are, are very very different people you can come from the same family almost and, you know, become very different people. Yeah, definitely. I, I think, I, I think we do kind of start in a same place, but that's like even a, a generalization. Um, but yeah, I, I think like, like, especially like the cultures, the Vietnamese American cultures like differ so much. Like I know like on the, the West coast, like there's like a really prominent community that there's like this, that's the biggest population of Vietnamese Americans in the U.S. compared to people on the East Coast who might not have as big of a, of a community of other Vietnamese people. So you see people kind of moving away from that. And then we have people like in the South, like where my novel takes place, and they have like their own culture that's rooted in uh, Southernness that is like not understandable to people who come the East Coast or West Coast at all. So I think... Yeah, definitely. Like we we do build our own culture um, wherever we are. Yeah, and and I was very surprised to learn, you know, after I read your novel that you you know grew up in Maryland and not in New Orleans. You know, that's a big risk. That's a big leap uh, to kind of transplant your your mind to to write about a uh, a whole pocket of uh, of a community that you did not grow up in. Um, how did you come to um, be so comfortable writing um, from that place? I think at first I was really uncomfortable because it's not my not my community. I didn't grow up there. I am an outsider. Um, so it, it was trying to tell a story, but also being respectful to the people there. At the same time, also learning about how they live, how they see their lives. So I think it was my research, talking to people there, seeing how they, they see their community, how they, they live their everyday lives. I think getting to understand them as, I guess, New Orleanian Vietnamese Americans, but also just as individual people. I think that gave me insight into how I can write this book. And like, honestly, like once the book came out, I was like still nervous about like how specifically that population, that community would react to the book. Um, so far it's been, good which 
like I felt like it's an honor. Like I've been mistaken for someone who ha had lived there. Um, like uh, I remember talking to someone down from uh, the Vietnamese community there, and he was like, ah, "Do I know your family? Are are you from here?" And I was like, "No, but but I'm, I'm glad that 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 kind of came through in a way because I I really try to be authentic as much as I can, um, coming from an outsider perspective." You, you know, I the way I perceived you um, after finishing the book was gr somebody who grew up there but was an outsider. That you, you know, it 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 made you feel like somebody who is you know from that community, but you always felt like an outsider within that community. That's that that was the feeling that I got uh, after reading it. Yeah, I think the way that I put the outsiderness is that I made the family kind of even not part of the community. I mean, like the community down there and in the book is really Catholic, for example, and have a character who is not really religious. She kind of um, distanced herself from that. So I, I think that kind of made it easier to write like an out, as an outsider because I am an outsider. And in a way, the characters are also outsiders within their, their own home. So I think that that really helped me um, but I, I think like even growing up as a, a queer Vietnamese American person, like there was also that outsiderness that I experienced. So I, I think it kind of felt natural to be writing about right. an outsider within this also an outsider community from like mainstream white America. You know, uh, the gang side, the brother uh, in the gang, um, how much research did you have to do for that? I feel like not a lot of research. I mean, I read, um, was it I Love Yous for White People by, by Lak Su. Um, and he does discuss part of that in his book. But like, I, I did grow up in an area that did have Vietnamese um, American gangs. Like my sister was for a while, like had a boyfriend in one. Uh, so like it, it's something that, that I grew up with that was kind of around me. So I felt like it was just natural to tell coming of age story with, with that in there. Um, and also I felt like it, it's really a part of the, the Vietnamese American community that really you don't see a lot in media um, kind of because it goes against like this image of like the model minority, um, which sometimes like Vietnamese people are kind of put into that box. But I also think like in order to get a fuller picture of our community, like we have to talk about like I guess the bad things that happen there. I mean, we're not these model minority like things aren't always okay with us. And I, I think giving insight to that really gives a humanity to our 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 communities because we're no longer just like this this model of, of like straight A people in school who become doctors and lawyers. We're we're multifaceted. We're we can be good, we can be bad. And I think that makes us just, it validates that we're human. And I think that's such an important thing, especially for minority writers, minority communities who are always, they they, they feel like you have to be like the perfect, for example, perfect Vietnamese person in front of everyone um, or else like there are people are gonna judge your community. But I think it's, it's, we see a lot of people moving on from that, especially like from my generation. What was your childhood like? Did you have to conform much? I think I, I did in a way conform to, but I think it was a way just to like fit in. I mean, no one wants to be an outsider in wherever they are. I mean, you're at school, you do want to make friends. So that there is that that want to conform to be uh, like the kid who doesn't bring the Vietnamese food to, to school, but like wants to like, by lunching at that hamburger or pizza. Um, and I, I think part of me was like, especially my teenage years, like I really pushed away that Vietnamese-ness. Um, like I knew like as like elementary school student, like I took Vietnamese classes, for example, but then I, I stopped going to those Vietnamese classes and I kind of did lose that language. But like at the time it was like, okay with me. Like I, I, I made me feel more American among all these other teenagers who basically they only knew English. Um, but so yeah, there was this, this pressure to conform and like, it, it kind of created like this divide really between like a home life where like I was 
I was supposed to be like this dutiful, this dutiful son um, who carried on traditions, who was Vietnamese um, compared to having to live out, go outside, go to school, hang out with friends. Where I I I felt I need to be American to to kind of get ahead, kind of fit in, try to be like a normal person, like a normal. Yeah. Yeah. And and when did you get this sort of inkling that you wanted to be a writer? I think I in a way I've always been like a storyteller. Um I mean I I remember like like in first grade I wrote like this really small story. It was like just a way for us to like practice handwriting. It was a contest. Uh, and then like I, I wrote a story. It was like about a leprechaun who 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 lived like in in like uh, a wardrobe and I, I won a prize for that. So I guess that's when the idea of being a writer came into mind. But like, I always like to tell stories. Like I, I, I growing up like Saturdays on the weekends, like we didn't really have a lot of entertainment in my house. So like me and my brother, uh, we just share stories. Eventually, like we wrote them down just for fun. Um, but I never really saw it as like a way to like a job, like in a Vietnamese family, uh like your your options are really like a doctor or lawyer or dentist or whatnot and like i didn't even know that you could like actually go to school to become a writer so like after undergrad uh i was in the phase like i didn't really know what to do i i, I knew that i had this like side hobby of writing that i like to do um but then i, I learned more about the this there are schools out there you can get degrees and you can really practice this this craft so i think the the, the short answer is i i kind of always knew i wanted to be a writer i didn't know how to do it until a little later um in life and then i guess i, I did whatever i could to get there and did you go to school for something other than writing you know an undergrad uh, were, were you in a different trajectory yeah, my undergrad was I studied sociology. Um, I mean, like for my parents, I, I was convincing them like it's a great degree for like like becoming a lawyer. Even though like in the back of my mind, I was like, no, I'm not being a lawyer. Um, so like after I graduated, like it was like where's where's the law school? And I was like, um, maybe I'll I'll become like a social worker. That's I mean, no money in social work, but that that's respectable that you could help people uh so i felt like that's the lies i told my parents until i had to go to grad school that i thought like i'm moving away for three years and um surprise i i'm gonna try to be a writer so that's my trajectory with my own family you know you make it sound so simple like uh you know you you, you go to school you get sociology degree and then you just move away for three years to study writing. But I feel like with artists and, you know, this journey of becoming uh, who you are and having that confidence to pursue the path, it's a gradual thing. But what along your life's journey kind of galvanized this uh, direction for you? I think after I, I took like this creative writing workshop, uh, it was a workshop with like a nonprofit that that kind of cultivates um, LGBTQ writers, and I applied to it on a whim. Like I, I, I saw the opportunity. I saw like it was like a week you can just hang out with other like real writers to me, um, and just like take some classes. And I got in um, to my surprise, and it was there. Like like I guess the, the teacher I I, I studied under it was like you she said like you had real talent you, you just you, you have to develop it like i'm not gonna let you like go out of this and not continue this path so i, I think that was like something like snapped to me or a light bulb went off and say hey like, I, I might be onto something that i might have this thing called talent um but i guess even after that there was like a lot of doubts about like yeah how, how do you do this i mean you could go to school but like who graduates from school and become like what they actually want. Like I, I didn't become a sociologist. I didn't, I didn't become a lawyer or or, so, uh, or a social worker, which was like the plan I had. So like going into grad school, that, that itself was a risk, uh, kind of almost like a leap of faith. 
of maybe I can do this. And like even throughout the MFA program, there was also that nagging was like, maybe I'm not good at this. Maybe um, I'll just get this degree and then end up working at a place I, I don't like doing stuff I don't like. So I think it's it's, it's a process you have to go through um, figuring out that you want to do it in the first place and then figuring out how to deal with all that self-doubt, uh, those voices in your head that tells you, like, this is not for you, like, really imposter syndrome uh, It's what it comes down to. And it's just, I mean, even to this day, even with a book out there, there's, like, the sense, like, no, I can't write another book even though, like, I did it before. It's, like, and, like, even like when Obama said like he liked my book, I was like, no, that, that can't be right. I, I kept on looking at, at social media. It's like, maybe that's not my name. Maybe that's not my book. And wow. like, it, it's it's always there. I feel you just have to kind of not listen to it, even though that, that itself can be hard. And it's still there now. Yeah, definitely. Like even like I'm working on another novel and like, I, 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 I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I, I, I feel like this, it's even more pressure because I feel like with the first novel, like no one knows you and you could fail and that's okay. But now like I have a book out, people kind of think I'm this like this really smart person, this person with things to say. And then like I sit down every morning to write and like, do I have anything to say? Do I have anything smart to say? Can can I actually write another novel? And I, I think it's it's something that that writers, artists will just have to deal with for a, a lifetime, but like hopefully it gets easier. How do you answer the question when that comes up? Are you good enough? Are you like, what am I doing? You know, I'm not, I'm not a writer. Like when that starts to kind of like cycle through, how do you get out of it? And how do you kind of like punch through it? I think just doing the work of writing. I felt like just I'm the kind of person for good or for bad that I just like push through um like whatever problems I have. I feel like growing up like that, that's how I, I was brought up as like the son of refugees. Um like that's I felt I feel like that's part of like the ref, refugee ethos is that you push through because that's how you survive. Like I, I saw my parents like working two jobs like that's what they had to do. They, they couldn't complain. They complained they didn't have that luxury to complain. And I guess growing up and seeing that, I, I kind of had that become one of my traits. So like, I really, like if that happens, like I just push through that, that I, I do have a routine of right now. I wake up like at five every morning and, and write for like three or four hours before I go to my, my day job. And I think just having that space that I tell, my, I tell myself like, no matter what, whatever I'm thinking, I will sit down for these hours and write. Um, I'm not gonna judge myself or why I write, if it's good or bad. I just push myself through it. I think by the time like I, I push myself through enough writing that that voice in my head that says like, you're not a writer, it's kind of, it's there, but kind of silenced because like I could like point to the screen like, if I'm not a writer, I, I wrote hmm. these pages. It's like, what do you mean? So I, I think seeing that I can do it really helped me kind of deal with that that voice in my head. What What do your parents think today? Um, I mean, they know my, my book is there. Um, but like, I, I feel like, I mean, like my, my sister, my older sister, she's a scientist. She's successful. She did exactly what but she told them. Uh, she, she would do, but then there's me. I'm like I feel like I'm the oddball child. I'm I'm the only one who went into humanities and the arts, and like I guess like they're they're happy for me. Then they congratulate me on like the success. But then I, I feel like you kind of know that they're like, but he isn't a doctor. He isn't a lawyer, and like like okay, I'll, 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 but I guess I'll I'll take that. I, I'm okay with being like the black sheep of my family, even if. I, I guess what I needed was that 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 pat on the back to say like I'm doing okay. At at this point, that's enough for me. Yeah, yeah. But damn, the goddamn president said that this book was on his reading list. I mean, you know, that's just like mind blowing to think about that. You know, and and I'm sure that you and I are both we share that we're fans of uh, President Obama. I'm sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
How did um, you have so many questions prepared, uh, but, uh, you know, I want to kind of like talk about the things that, you know, come up in the conversation. Uh, this idea of a day job. Um, what is it that you do uh, as a day job? Um, well, I have multiple day jobs in a way. Just me. Um, so I, I work at a nonprofit for my day job doing communications work, writing related, but not like as creative. Um, I feel like I do need that buffer because creative writing like, takes a certain, I guess, part of your brain to do compared to like writing communications, which is like, I wouldn't say dry, but like, it's not, you're not like as tied to it emotionally. You, you, you just have to have something, write something that gets the job done. Um, so I guess that's one of my day jobs. My other day jobs is uh, to edit um, a, a um, publication, Dia Critics, um, which highlights the work of Vietnamese diasporic artists. Um, when I say diasporic, I feel like that's very important because it's not just Vietnamese Americans. We publish Vietnamese Australians, Vietnamese Canadians, Vietnamese German people. So I, I think like it brings me a lot, a lot of joy to do that because it's it, it's kind of cultivating um, this global network of Vietnamese people around the world and showing how we're all kind of the same in a way, but also yeah. like how we're so different from each other. And I think that that really fights against like that stereotype of like what it means to be Vietnamese um, because there are a lot of ways to be Vietnamese. Yeah. And, and that's why I always ask it because I think there's so much variety um, to being Vietnamese. There's just so many ways to make Nick Mam or so many ways to make Pha and, you know, there's some basic building blocks, but for the most part, there's a lot of ways to do these things. And um, yeah, and I'm, I, I want to ask you with the work that you do with the diaspora um, and the sort of the editing, the, the kind of the amplifying of these voices of artists. Uh, and, and I'm asking because I share this sort of journey of amplifying and I, I wonder um, all the time, um, do you feel like this uh, diaspora has legs in terms of uh, us being second generation refugee, uh, product of refugee? We, we have this sort of like this thorn in our side that we just can't get out, right? We, so we just always have to talk about it. We always have to like direct our attention to it. But three or four generations from now, you know, is that still going to be there? Or are we just sort of like the people that are creating this legacy for our consumption but you know generations from now it kind of loses its its uh stickiness i think that's kind of difficult because to, to answer because like it could really go either way but i think like right now it's clear that there's like this this movement of vietnamese artists that are are telling these these stories especially of like the history of their parents of Vietnamese people in general. I, I think, especially in people outside of Vietnam, because like, like I, I remember, like there's there's some writer wrote that like the first generation of immigrants, they're they're, they're trying to survive, they're trying to to live their lives, and it's not until like the second generation who were out there like they want to tell the stories. The first generation was not able to tell the stories there. They were too busy in a way. And the second generation is there to, to kind of tell the story of their, their elders to, to pass that down. Because like for me, especially, I feel like if I didn't tell a story, like some part of me would be almost like lost almost because like my parents' story about their story, I, I wouldn't be there. So like telling that story was important for I like almost I mean, like, sounds dramatic, but like to my survival, to my identity. I think that's a better way to yeah. say it. Um, but I, I think, especially like in different countries, once we're, we assimilate into like more of this this bigger mainstream culture, um, there is that risk of kind of like erasing that Vietnamese-ness. I, I, I mean, like, on the one hand, like, one doesn't want to be like the, the, the token Vietnamese person in an art gallery and uh, uh, in a book 
in a book lineup, for example. But like one just wants to see themselves as an artist, but then at the cost of kind of losing that that history of Vietnamese-ness. So there is that risk. But at the same time, I think as long as we pass those stories forward, the next generation, they can take that and kind of reinvent it. They can realize a, a different future for this Vietnamese-ness. Um, so I, I think the optimistic side of me, I can see that happening. I mean, like, if I can do it, take the stories of my parents, um, the next generation can take my story plus the stories of my parents and take that and run and do really creative things about it. They can also mix it up with mainstream culture and we could get something really beautiful, beautiful, really something interesting. Uh, so that's the optimistic in me. And like, that's the future like I envision really. When you approach uh, a story like a novel, the first novel that you do, um, I am sure that the lineup of stories that you have is infinity because creative people always have so many stories. How do you know that this is where this story, this novel, this setting, this uh, particular niche of your life is something that you want to spend the next three to five years, you know, chiseling away at? I think for this first novel, it was kind of easy. I felt like it was, I mean, I had different ideas, right, for different novels, but I think I wanted to tackle things to also the water first because I felt like it was so personal for me. In a way, it was my my way of trying to understand my own Vietnamese heritage, where my parents came from, their experience. I mean, I grew up, they, they didn't talk a lot about their experiences, refugees, like, I felt like they, they were really, they were the kind of people who, who didn't want to share that trauma with their kids. Like growing up, like they always told us to look forward, see, get good grades, see what you can become tomorrow in the future. So I, I think part of me felt like I was, part of my identity was missing. So I felt like writing this book, doing the research, I, it was like, no argument. I had to write this book. This needed to be the first book I, I, I wrote. Or else, like, I felt like I would have gone, like, a couple more years feeling kind of lost in my own Vietnamese identity. So I think for me, like, this was an obvious choice. And I think, like, if I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't want to think this, but, like, if I don't write another book, I, I would be happier with this book because it, it meant so much to me personally. And Anything else I write after this, it will be fun to write, but it won't be as personal. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's how I decided to write this novel and how I would measure like the other novels that come after this. Um, and when you say easy, uh, how long did it take you to write? Seven years. So not easy. <laughs> you know, I just talked to T. Bui uh, the other week. 10 years for hers. Wow. Um, it's intense. What what keeps you going? What keeps you inspired? I think, like like, like I said, like it, it, it was a really personal project, but I think part of it was also like, um, like part of it was written when I, I was in my graduate program and like to pass the graduate program to graduate, you needed to have like a, a pretty solid draft of it. So that, that really helped. But yeah. I think after... Um, I graduated. It was just this drive to finish this personal project, but also, um, like I like I said, like I'm the kind of person who likes to see things through, likes to just move forward. And I, I think, like, a part of me just like would be bothered that this novel wasn't finished. Like, putting aside the personal aspect of it, like, I would just be like, why did I finish that? Like, I just need to finish it because, like. Otherwise, like this thing will be looming over me that I, I didn't finish it. You, you know, it's as somebody who's the editor in chief of something like Diacritics, how do you know when things are good? How do you know when an artist is making good work? I think when I, there's like particular joy when I find someone's work. Um, I mean, it doesn't need to be like this joy of, wow, I'm so happy that I see this. It's more of a joy of seeing a, a, 
a a piece of writer a, a short story an essay that has a, a unique point of view something that I might not have considered before um but also someone who who has a unique story um has a unique way of telling a story I mean like there are a lot of people there are a lot of Vietnamese people each one of them has a story but it's more of a way you tell that story and how do you make that transcend just your own personal story how can you make that into this statement i'm not not exact a statement that encompasses like what it means to be vietnamese but what it means to be this particular person this particular moment that you're writing from so i, I guess there needs to be a spark of originality of art and i don't know just something that that clings to me in terms of the way it's written and i don't know i sometimes can't really explain it. just you're attracted to this thing and you don't know why and i just want to talk to the writer a little bit more to understand them and i think those are like th those are what i i end up publishing it's like i see something and like I, I want to read more, I want to talk more about it. Uh, I feel like if I publish something, it's something that I want to hand to someone else and say, "Look at this." Like I don't know why how to explain my love for it, but read it and then let's talk about it. So I think that's how I approach uh, what we publish. Yeah, that's a, a very non-technical answer. Um, it's a very uh, intuitive uh, approach that is. Um, that's not, that's, you know, Hey, it's whatever turns you on internally. Right. Yeah. Whatever gets your, your, your juices flowing and going like, Oh my God, I want more of that. Um, in, uh, things, uh, we lost to the water. Um, I noticed, uh, this idea, this is just sort of like my mind coming at it. Um, uh, the plurality uh, of different things, even in the title, things we lost the water could refer in my mind to the refugee uh, experience, the exodus uh, from from Vietnam. That we, we we as the people lost a lot of things in that that water, um, and we lost a lot of things to the water in New Orleans because of Vietnamese Catholic community. There's a lot of things, and I think on a metaphorical you know level, there's so much to 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 that, and and the plurality of of having the different voices uh, in the characters, a uh, different perspective, um, is that sort of how you approach uh your storytelling like on a tech i guess i'm asking on a technical level is that something you think about is that something like is an intention that you approach things a little bit more open-ended where it could be um understood on, on different uh angles or is it just something that you're um you just go out and you just do uh, without really planting the seeds of like the plur the plurality side of things I think like the first couple of drafts, like I, I had no idea of like all this, like you said, plurality. Um, I just wanted to tell a story. I think a lot of writers start that way, just want to tell a story, want to tell it well. But I think it wasn't until like third, fourth, fifth draft that I realized like there's like like these different things happening. And like from from then on, like you kind of see like where that can take you you follow that path. So, so like it's, I feel like almost like it's almost unconscious. Like you, you write it, but like the back part of your brain was like, "Hey, this is what all this is setting up to." Um, I guess the short answer is like I, I didn't plan a lot of what mm. happened in the book, but I think once I saw it happening, um, I kind of worked that out to see how far I can take it. Um, like the the imagery of water in the book, for example, like I, I had no idea i was putting so much water in there until like someone mentioned it and like hey that like what like what does water mean in this book what does it mean to the characters how far can i, I take this metaphor to mean something to these characters so i think it, it's, it's the answer is both you, you kind of just do it and then once you find out that you're doing it you you, you do it more Thank you for answering it, um, because I, you know, I've attempted to write uh, throughout my life and it's, you know, you can plan for things, but if it's not intuitively coming out, 
then it's sort of like that authenticity is missing and it doesn't it isn't it doesn't shape the story that you're trying to doesn't do service to to what you're doing by by planning so hard and 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 trying to kind of implant these ideas and just it, hearing you talk about the intuitive side of, of writing is is a beautiful thing for me yeah i think like I'm, like there's a different types of writer like writers who plan excessively yeah. and like like me i i don't plan at all uh, i feel like planning kind of ruins like where your mind can go really like that imaginative part i think that's what i really like about writing is just the imagination especially in fiction you go wherever you want and like that that's the fun part and like i feel like there's moments of like writerly joy that like you have an image of what you want to happen in the book but then the book of story trying to tell like takes a completely different turn and then like you write it and then like there's that surprise that joy like Hey, like that—that's pretty good, and I, I didn't—I didn't mean to do that, but it's like a happy accident, and I think those are like the moments. Like I—that's why I write. Really, is like that—that—that that, that shot of dopamine when like you surprise yourself. Yeah. What what kind of topics are you interested in future novels or projects? I think. Well, I think like all writers have like these obsessions that they kind of return to a lot. Um, even if they don't mean to write it. I mean, like, there's like a saying that all writers basically write the same book over and over again, um, which means like they, they explore the same themes. Their, their thoughts on that themes might evolve over time or might be just them trying to pin down what that theme means to them and their lives. I, I, I think throughout writing this, this first book and like starting the next book, I feel like the things that, that are my obsessions are like, memory uh, history i think as a vietnamese american person a person in the vietnamese diaspora i felt those are themes that are kind of part of our being like there's there's this whole history that follow that kind of follows us around as for example the, the children of refugees there's that history of the war but then if you look at the long picture the bigger picture there's that whole history of like all the way back to like ancient asia like so, I, I'm just fascinated by like how how do we carry that history? How do that how does that history get told, retold? And then you put in the, the the fact of memory, the fact that memory is always not the best, is unreliable. What does that mean to history? Um, is history facts or is it how we interpret it? How how we see things? Um, how we see things, but how that change so I, I i just find that really interesting just history and memory and how they contradict each other how important it is not just like for vietnamese people but really for everyone everyone come from someplace out else they they can trace history back further and further and like the further back you go the more almost inaccurate becomes but that inaccuracy doesn't always isn't always a bad thing per se so i, I think there's fertile ground to explore in those yeah the two themes history and memory uh you know i think about as you're telling me those two things history and memory i think about like there's other things that um that trigger this sort of i i my mind is responding to to history and memory uh i think about like you and I right now in present moment, we are talking about history and memory of the Vietnamese culture. We, we right now are at the very edge of Vietnam's culture. We're, we're, we're two young guys that are sort of sitting right at the edge of like all the developing things that are happening in Vietnamese culture. I've been um, Googling uh, the names of Vietnam. Um, there's probably at least 10 names if you go back in the history of vietnam right it's vietnam anam and there's all of these names of the different dynasties or different um, time periods that it wasn't always called vietnam um and then you start start to think about like the history of the different names of those periods the people were totally different from what modern vietnamese people are today and, it, and it's crazy. And then you and I are both, you go back 12 generations, we're both a product each 
of like 4,000 people to get down to one of us. It's like, and talk about the history and the, and the memories. So I think being able to sit in these sort of, you know, have time to sit and explore history and memory and talk about people like you who spend so much time thinking about the history and the memory. And so oftentimes it's not very accurate, but it's a beautiful thing as well. Yeah, definitely. I think like that, that, like you said, like, like there, there's been so many names for Vietnam and like there has been also shifting borders of Vietnam. So I think like that's that, I guess that's just interesting that, that like right now when you say Vietnamese, like you, like we kind of know what we talk about that the strip of land and the Mekong river through it, but like, it's not always, hasn't always been that way. And I, that the geography itself, it's history, it's memory. Um, and I think that's something like, like you said, down to our DNA that, that we, that's part of us. So I, I think that's like, I guess, I don't know what I'm saying, but like, it's, it's just interesting to think about that yeah. and how, like you said, we're on the edge of history. We, we are, we, that all that happened, like from the, 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 the trunk sisters all the way to like now, like it built up all the way to like, ourselves and where we are and the stories we hold so i i think that's fascinating yeah a lot and and the, i i i feel you when you said but you don't know how what you're describing because a lot of this shit is nebulous too right it's nebulous until you somebody like you writes it down until somebody like you, you really takes the time to document it seven years of your life to document it. t Bowie with her 10 years of of, of putting this down and that's so important and i wanted to really talk about that with you that we don't have enough voices i feel sometimes um you know that we don't have enough people talking about um enough about our history and you know and a lot of people don't really aren't pay, really paying attention to it i feel like sometimes you know it's like it's kind of boring for people but i think it's so important to to talk about it because otherwise it, it becomes this very nebulous thing and it's not really real if you don't really put it down on some digital form or write it down. It's not being concretized, or I, I don't even know if that's a word. It's not being, you're not pouring the concrete to make sure it, for future generations, like, no, no, this is legacy. This is what we as a people have gone through and we should march and we should be pr proud of who we are. and. I grew up in a generation where without we were not at all we were it was very shameful to be vietnamese in america in the 80s and 90s for me yeah i, I like i think like there should be more not even writers just like people who archive like put things down on paper because I, I feel like we do something because like these are these this history this memory and writing it down is the only way to to say like we were here like without that record who say that we even existed. So I think definitely there, there's a lot to to recover even to 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 talk about like to be Vietnamese is to have thousands and thousands and thousands of years to to talk about and really like so much of it has already been lost. I mean like yeah ancient Vietnam so like the, like like we know very little about that and there's like this was coming from me as a non-specialist, but like who is like studying that, who is bringing that information forward and remembering those people. Um, and I, I think writing is important because like I said, like it's more, almost like an extent, existential thing. Like, are we even here if no one's telling our story, but not only just our one story, but also these multiple stories. And I think, that's where artists, writers, why we're so important, why they are so important. Because um, otherwise, it, it's it's really easy to disappear. Yeah, with without stories, there is no identity. It's just you know, I mean, you you look at other groups of, of people on Earth with five thousand years of of recorded history, whether it be their Bible, their Quran, you know, they've documented thousands of years of, of the important things that happened in their, their, even if they were nomadic or they were travelers or they, 
you know, didn't have an actual home, uh, their diaspora still sort of retained the the stories of their old, you know, motherland and and it that's what makes them able to strongly identify and, and go forward in the world uh, with with a sense of strength, you know, to me. Yeah, I, like there's there's like cultures who have documented a lot. I feel like a good example are like Jewish people, yeah. like they, they, I mean, like they they start off in one place, but then like over thousands and thousands of years, they, they kind of went, at least every kind Jewish people in every country probably. Like, but like there's that that one history of yeah. coming from one place, and they have like the Torah, and like that's that's part of their story that is printed down. And I, I think like that's how I guess Jewish culture has really survived through the Holocaust even. Um is that they wrote down even the Holocaust they wrote down. Like after the Holocaust, we see a lot of memoirs, we see diaries like from Anne Frank, for example, writing her story as it happened. So that writing down is really so important. Um and I think you risk if that's not written down, you kind of risk like assimilation in a way that that's almost like not even it's not good um i feel like for example the the typical white american they don't know where exactly they're from i mean they take a dna test and say i'm this percent irish this percent german but there's beyond that scientific data there is that loss of what it means to be irish what it means to be german i think that that's a risk in America specifically because we we kind of want to force everyone to kind of be the same. Um and that's that means loss of something. And that's not just for people of color, but like for white people as as well. I think that's that that that's I guess almost kind of a shame that that we kind of become I mean like there's the idea of America as a melting pot, but like if it's a melting pot, like how are we different from each other? How, how what makes us unique? What makes humanity beautiful? Also, I think that that's just I get a thought exercise. Yeah, um, it yeah. it's it's a nightmare scenario for me to like relive my youth as a, a, if I was to live my youth today and be that kid who would go to a party and as a teenager and a garage party with a bunch of white kids and that sense of non-connecting the sense of like not really knowing why you know how important the vietnamese culture was i have nightmares thinking about that today because there's no grounds you're, you're not grounded in any sort of like pride or sense of who you are you're not white you're, you're, you're definitely not that you're not part of that but you're definitely not part of vietnam you know from the motherland I think that knowing what I know now about the beauty of, of the thousands of years of the Vietnamese culture, and if I can instill that in, in my children or, or anyone with Vietnamese descent, then you can walk into a garage party or, or a cafeteria in high school, and you have this sense of like, I have this rich history, this past. And you can really, for, for me, it's just it's such a big thing. I can really settle in and, and operate and do what I got to do to, you know, be, be really good at my job, be really good at school. But, you know, without that sort of set, that foundational sense of identity, for me, it's, it's always been like this compass that's out of whack. And, you know, I, I really identify with what you said about being a writer and you return to these themes. I can never let go of that theme of being this sort of like, this compass that's just like out of whack because, you know, I'm 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 old, you know, relative uh, to 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 young people and Vietnamese Americans in in the U.S. I share this weird, I straddle this weird world between like old Vietnam and 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 the new Vietnamese American diaspora, and I can't find my place. And I, I kind of I enjoy it now, and I I I take great uh, pride in you know the fact that that's kind of when I was born. But at the same time, I mean, I will never stop digging more and more and digging up historical and present mo modern day people that are that are doing the work of of, of cultural um amplification yeah i think 
I, I think like growing up like all like or like how many Vietnamese Americans grew up, especially like I guess the second generation, there, there's always like for a while, like you could like you said, like there's like this no place we, we belong. I mean like like we are not white, we are not black, um, which at times I feel like th those are the races like, like people think about when they think about American. So like in a way you're not American, but then you're also not Vietnamese because you either, because you want to be distanced from your parents' culture or because you're just assimilating very well beyond like your, even your control. I think you're not Vietnamese either. So like, I feel like this happens to the characters in my book. It's like, there's a while, like, especially the, set, the first time he kind of walks this line of not really being rooted, not being anywhere. And I think, I, I guess like that's almost like why I write in a way yeah. is kind of to make up for that lost time. And that's why like research, especially for the first book was like important to me and why it was really personal for me and why it's the most personal book I can write because it's it's kind of retrieving things I lost, which I guess is part of the theme, the novel, even the title. Yeah. And at some point, do you feel like it's going to be enough and then you move on to another thing? Or do you think that we're always going to set a sort circle around this idea of loss? Um, let me ask you a, 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 a more pointed question about that. After finishing your first novel, do you feel like that idea of loss is a little bit more uh, gone? Is it? Have you replenished that sense of loss and you feel a little bit more fulfilled? Yeah, I definitely feel a little bit more fulfilled. I mean, like I'm working on my second book and it's not really focus on, on loss. I mean, it's focused on memory and history, but the loss, the feeling of having lost a culture really, is not really there. I feel like this first book was this emotional experience. And then now I'm kind of this emotional experience of like going through loss of interrogating what loss is. Um, I think writing this book kind of made me kind of get over that in a way. And I feel like I can almost write anything now um, that doesn't need to be lost. It could be about so many other things. And I, I think that's why any other book would be less personal because there's like a freedom now. And I, I feel like it's a, a good thing. Like there's yeah. a freedom to write whatever you want now. But also I, I feel like I wrote the most personal thing I could write. Like what else can I, I, I write now? It's almost like you came out the other end. It's like catharsis. Yeah. Have you been to Vietnam? I've been to Vietnam once when I was a teenager. And I hate it because I had to hang out with my parents the whole time. And like, to me, like they were old people, even though like in hindsight, they, they, were, they were like kind of my age. <laughs> like, huh. so, but I think like I've been wanting to get back there as an adult. Like I, I was planning to go back there before the pandemic, but then pandemic kind of wiped that plan away. Um, so like I look forward to coming there as an adult, as someone who is not like a whiny teenager, um, yeah. and just really explore like what it's all about. And like I feel like growing up, like there's always like this image of like communist vietnam that is a terrible place that we're never going to go back um which I, I feel didn't last my family i feel like once like relationships normalized between two countries like they, they, they were off um but i think there's especially for older generation like there's this this idea of vietnam as a terrible place i mean to a certain extent it's it's bad there's no freedom of speech there um people are getting people get arrested for what they write but like there, there's a new generation people my age there who are artists who are also trying to find their way with maybe what they lost, but also moving forward beyond um, whatever history they, they inherited and trying to do creative things. And it's a totally different Vietnam now from like the eighties. So I, I think there's a lot to be found there and that could probably be a, a different book. Yeah, definitely. Cause um, 
all the things that we're saying, uh, a lot of things that we're saying refer to the diaspora. But uh, I think some, you know, a lot of times people in Vietnam don't even think like, when I ask guests from Vietnam, like, what does it mean to be Vietnamese? They look at me like I'm from another planet. Well, what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> what does it mean to be Vietnamese? Uh, I don't know. That's like asking me, what does it mean to be a human being? You know, it's like, there's no attachment to that otherness, you know? Um, and then there's a beauty to that. There's a, I, I find that to be so, um, I'm envious of that. Very envious of young Vietnamese people who have this sort of completed sense of uh who they are as a Vietnamese citizen yeah i think like if you grew up around people who are just like you there's no question of who you are because everyone around you kind of shared the same yeah. experience um which is something that vietnamese americans don't have access to and i, I think like part of me like always think like like what 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 would i have been like if if i grew up not only like in vietnam but just like a community of more Vietnamese people. Um, and then I sometimes like I think like what would life be like if I moved to Vietnam and, and were surrounded by other Vietnamese people all the time where I'm not like be the even the Asian American person in the room. I'm not like where I don't feel like the token person wherever I am. Um and I I feel like it's like a train that I missed almost. And I feel like the, almost like the story of the diaspora is like a lot of things we lost but i, I think i don't know i think I, I think it's something that i have to kind of live with because like i didn't have that life but i think at the same time i, I have a pretty good life like I, I have a book i can't complain yeah has your life changed much since the release of the book um i mean not i want to say not much um i mean i i still write i still work um but like people like people who know me like they get they got really excited about it i feel like publication is almost like publication day like it's cool to see your book out but like you feel it's kind of thing like it's like a book it's right there in the store but every, like you've been working it for like seven years it's in your mind and now it's it's finally out and like for everyone else like oh my god oh my god like it, it, it's like for them like it looks like you wrote it overnight but like for me it was like an over seven year experience so like it was almost like a deflated relief um i think other than that people i feel people think i'm smarter than i am like like people would ask me like what what do you think about like here what do you think about the vietnamese that asked from the vietnamese um identity and like i don't i i don't know like i i have ideas but i'm not sure they're, they're the right ideas um so like people i guess take my thoughts more seriously now uh even though like i'm i'm the same person and it's weird to be think of as as smart you know um i wish i and I don't see this often. I don't experience this often in families or friends that are Vietnamese, both um, here in the US or in Vietnam. The idea of like a project that takes seven or 10 years to finish um, is normal, is right. It's, it's just a normal thing. And we don't put emphasis on in our families that these things need to happen. Like we need to emphasize that our new generation and our parents need to be, they need to be schooled. Like we should be, we should be encouraging our youth to take on these decades long projects because a lot of us think when we think of Eric Wynn, we think, Oh, yeah, just put out this wonderful thing. It went on a president's list and, you know, took him maybe a year to write. But the, the more I dig into writers lives and filmmakers lives and, you know, 10 years on a project is about the right, you know, seven years is seven to 10 years is about the right amount of time it takes from inception to, to getting it out there. And we don't educate within our own community that this is a requirement. We, we need to start programming our, our young kids that these things take a long time and we should start now. Yeah, I think 
I guess at least when I grew up, there's mentality of results oriented. Like go from A to B, you get to C. You go to school, no, you get good grades yeah. in grade school, you go to college, get good grades there, you become a doctor, bam. Um, there's that's a clear path, but like arts is not a clear path. There's there's the time to work on that art, there's time to hone that craft. There's even age. I feel like if I was younger and this and I wrote this book and the book came out, it would have been a definitely different book. Mm-hmm. I felt like I guess my wisdom wouldn't be there. It's writing the book is I put my lot my kind of lived experience almost in it. It's not like what happened in my life, but like the way I think about things, the way I, I see, for example, my parents in my early 20s, they they were just my parents, but like writing this book was like I, I kind of re- realized like I mean it's kind of stupid to say like my parents are they their own person. Like before they had me, they they were in their 20s, they were they probably had a cool life. Like I mean like there's there's a picture of my my parents on a motorcycle in Vietnam and like like for a while, like that, that didn't make sense to them. Like how how were they young? But like now, like in my thirties, like I, like of course they were once young. Of course they they went out, had fun, went clubbing, and whatnot. Of course, so I think between like the first draft and say like the the, the my year six or seven writing, it, like I came to that realization. That I think without that realization, this book would not have been the same. It would just been me thinking someone in their 30s was like very old um but i think it's not just like the process of writing it's also the process of growing up and understanding the world better and i think that experience is definitely needed and like you can't really quantify that in terms of a timeline i mean and people also like grow up at their own pace so like it's i think if we told people if we gave insight into like that creative process not only to young Vietnamese Americans, but just young people in general who who want to be artists. I, I think they come to better understand the profession and the process. Yeah. Um, singing and music for Vietnamese people um, as a profession is an absolute no-no. They, there's proverbs and you know, really sticky proverbs as you know, Sinca Voloi and all of these things that really make the profession of, of music uh, just a very bad thing. But okay, so there's a negative kind of aspect to that. But then there is this sort of like other side of it is like, okay, if you do pursue it, there is a lot of money to be to be had in it if you do it right. But all of it takes at least a decade to develop, whether you want to sing, you want to write, you want to dance, it takes 10 years minimum in my opinion to really have this cultivated sense of what you're doing and the 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 use of your voice whether it's a your writer or a a com- composer for 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 film it it just takes that amount of time and when we start to um raise a new generation of of, of people we have to start bringing this into their kind of like their their awareness that we need more amplification as Vietnamese Americans or Vietnamese diaspora. And these are the years that it's going to take. And I think once we clear the air on that, then there is a big chance to make some good money. And I think like if we approach it the way the Jews do, you know, they, they, they're, they're in for a long haul and create it. And in the process, we find our voice. And after we find our voice, it will be bought and it will be sold and it will become commerce and there will be money to be made but we don't believe yet you know as a, as a community yeah just i guess if I, I could tell my parents that i want to be a writer as like a teenager i, I would definitely tell them like it's going to take a long time yeah um but like be patient um even though i don't think my parents are really patient but i think yeah definitely and the thing about art is like when you first start out you don't even make a lot of money even if you like to everyone else like you like your success it's not until like you build a career in the arts yeah. that people start paying you more so I, I think like just think about the long haul just the long picture the big picture yeah 
Eric, thank you so much today. I uh, covered a lot of um, things that beyond what I what I had set out to to ask, and um, a lot of the things that I got today was about intuition and intuiting, sort of like the the, the way you're going about uh, create your creations. Yeah, thank you for having me. I feel like I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I said anything useful, smart, uh, but I like the conversation. I think we've covered a lot of topics. I don't. I don't think a lot about, but I, I, I guess it's in there somewhere. Yeah. And I, I think there's, you know, I, before I sit with anybody, I watch a few interviews and uh, read a few articles and I try to avoid the things that you've already answered. You know, I try to skirt around the things that, you know, you can find online and stuff like that. So I, I just want to get to more of the essence of the artist or the person that's creating these uh, experiences in the Vietnamese American or Vietnamese diaspora. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to The Vietnamese with Kenneth Nguyen. The Vietnamese is produced by Brittany Tran. Special thanks to Jane Nguyen, Catherine Nguyen, Tina Pham, Sydney Jamie, and Christo Trin. Please find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at The Vietnamese Podcast. You can also find us on YouTube where you can subscribe, like, and comment. Please rate and give us a review wherever you find our podcasts. Thanks again for listening.